Coming up today on the Elevate 02 podcast, we are here. It's episode number four. We're going to be joined by Calgary Flames Assistant General Manager Chris Snow, who's got an inspirational story both on and off the ice. We'll talk about his journey to the front office and the journey that he's going through right now. And Mitch is back from Scotland golfing at some of the world's most prestigious golf courses. We'll find out how he did, and we'll react to the great interview with Chris Snow. So without further ado, here's episode four. This is the Elevate 02 podcast, brought to you by Money Mitch, the podcast bringing you inside the world of hockey. From on the ice to inside the front office, we bring you places you've never been before. Now, here are your hosts, Tori Mitchell, Jonathan Bates, Brian Strait, and Brady Farkas. Welcome back in here now, episode four of the Elevate 02 podcast, Brady Farkas, Money Mitch, Jonathan Bates, Brian Strait with us here. Guys, what's up? What's up, Money Mitch? Woo! Back uh, from Scotland. Yeah, we're going to get to that in a second. Uh, um, we do yeah. have a great episode today. Um, we've First off, we appreciate all the feedback that we've gotten so far through the first three episodes. It's been great. People like the addition of Mitch to the team full-time, so we're happy about that. Um, Not everybody. Got a, but... <laughs> most people. Most, I got a few compliments on Mitch being Three-fourths of the podcast <laughs> likes it. <laughs> Farky's usually chirping, but well, I, I'll take that. Thanks, Farky. You're welcome. We are going to have Chris Snow on the show uh, in a little bit here. He's the assistant general manager. Manager of the Calgary Flames. He formerly worked with the Minnesota Wild. He's got an unbelievable story on both hockey and both in life. He's currently battling ALS, and by all accounts, he's really outpacing the projections right now, and he's still working full-time with Calgary, so it's a really uh, inspiring interview. I'm excited for you guys to hear. You mentioned chirping. I do have a question for the room, though. Um, I'm wearing my Brady Farkas radio sweatshirt right now. <laughs> what What is a more arrogant flex? A sweatshirt with your name and logo on it or a money Mitch hat? Or oh, oh. Well, hold on. Time out. Time out. I mean, I'm the only one on here not wearing something of my oh, own. Yeah. I'm actually supporting. I'm supporting straight development coaching, too. I've I never got that. Here. I appreciate that. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, if, if Farky, our hat, our hats got lost in the mail, I guess. Yeah, our hats got lost. I'll send you guys sweatshirts. No, they're, they're coming. They're coming, sweatshirt. guys. Don't worry about it. I'm going to send them out. I didn't get the Elevate hat when I got up there either. So, you well, know, you got the hoodie. One, the one hoodie. for one. All right. Yeah, we'll do that. We'll the hoodie's that. legit. I didn't have it in the back of my truck when we came hoodie is The hoodie is legit. So, but all right. Well, I felt a little bit arrogant putting this on today, but I was like, well, if I'm not branding, what am I, what am I really doing then? True. Yeah, but we can't even see it. You got to, yeah, well, I don't know. It's it's just, not, it should be tilted down just to the, just to the sweatshirt. Not, a legitimate question here for, mm. for everybody, because you all have your own brand. So, like, what is the reception when you go and ask for a sweatshirt for the Brady Farkas show as Brady Farkas or a hat for Money Mitch as Tori Mitchell or a, a lot of people want that hat development coaching as Brian Strait? Like what? How is that received? Because if I were if I were the, the, the retail company, I'd be like. Wow, this guy is full of himself. Well, the guy was, <laughs> let's see, my guy was, uh, I did. I ordered 12 sweatshirts and 12 t-shirts because I didn't know if anyone would want to buy them. So he got, I got 12 t-shirts, 12 sweatshirts, but I asked for one for free for me and he was all mad at me that I wanted one for free and he was going to lose 40 bucks. So mine was a, not as pleasant an experience. If I'm being honest, I just wore the hat once and I had some inquiries. How much for the hat? That is so suck it, Bates. No chance. <laughs> suck it, no, Batesy. No freaking chance, man. Yeah. No way. Yeah, I got something made right now. Is oh. the hat designed as Money Mitch, or is it just a hat with no. two M's that you are calling Money Mitch? Yeah. M&M. It's a it's a hat with two M's that <laughs> okay. one of our one of our players brought in. He saw it somewhere. I was like, oh, I'll throw it on. All of a sudden, I'm making money now. <laughs> <laughs> it became a thing. Boom. That's what happened. Um, it, so you yep. were in Scotland, Mitch. What is this about? Oh. Ah, just over there hitting all the big names. Not a big deal. Oh. <laughs> Are you uh, any good at golf? <laughs> I'm I'm better than Batesy. I know that. I don't know about Farky or Strader. Strader, Batesy. I feel like you have some Batesy. game. Batesy, Batesy's got this. His ball doesn't go higher than 10 feet. Driver, no, it goes high now. pitching wedge, now. he keeps it 10 feet in the air. It goes high now. No, he hits stingers. it too high. He hits it too high. Now, now. now, now he's hitting his driver. He's hitting his driver like a pitching wedge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he would. He would. He, he, rainbows now. No, he, no joke. 
No you would have gotten eaten alive in the wind and, oh, and no in Scotland. No, I'm not. It was ridiculous. But you're not better than straight. I will say that. Is, stra- is straight a stick? He's, he, he looks he, like a. Here's oh, the thing about him. Is you caught me like, on a good day and a bad day. So listen, your front nine was legit. Yeah, I mean, it was. like if you made three That's or four putts, you're. <laughs> I mean, I can't play eighteen anymore. <laughs> let's let's talk. Let's talk more about me and Scotland. <laughs> yeah. All right. So so you go over to Scotland with Churchy and mm. like well walk through the lineup and how many rounds, how many courses, which courses? Six seven rounds. St. Andrews was like, pinch me the whole time. It was insane. Um, did a big tour through the uh, clubhouse that a member brought us in, which is like amazing. Um, and then we did uh, Carnoustie, which has hosted some British Opens. We oh, did yeah. Mirfield. We played three rounds at Mirfield, which was insane, um, which is also uh, Mickelson won there in 2013. Uh, I had a couple nice putts that reminded me of his play that day. Um, and then, uh, we did Kings Barnes, which is another crazy, um, they hosted like the women's British open. Yeah. We did basically did all the British open courses. It was like bucket list type of uh, vacation. It was freaking insane. Any days of 36 or just 18 a day? Uh, yeah, there was, uh, two days of 36. Oh, fuck. It's a lot of walking too. (laughs) That's out of your comfort. You can't, you're not, you're not good for 36 holes. No, I I had shin splints. My hamstrings were hurting, and then I called it the last day. My I was getting some tennis elbow or something. They were telling me, so I I called it. I played. Uh, we we went out for the uh, the next eighteen, the last eighteen in the round, and it, I shut it down after four holes, and I just walked, had a couple pints. Scotland. I, yeah. I thought yeah. hockey players were tough. You're telling me you cut it short at historic courses for tennis elbow. Hockey oh. players are tough on the ice, yeah. off the ice. Oh, Let's be honest. We're, we're shop right now, Ben Shop. As soon as, soon as I stopped playing, I went from like, you know, like I felt like I was a warrior to like I am the biggest baby now. I don't want to be <laughs> yeah. uncomfortable with anything anymore. Yes. By, by the way, I like that you're calling it the British Open, Mitch. Did you know that they actually now call it the Open Championship and have been doing so for like the better part of the last 10 years? They don't call it the British Open anymore. I do. But yeah. I'm going to stick with the British Open. Yeah, I prefer to call it the British Open, yeah. too. But the British Open um, got too offended that the U.S. Open uh, you know, exists. So they decided to distinguish themselves from just being the British or the U.S. So they decided, no, no, no. We're the original. We are the Open Championship and everything else is secondary. Huh. Interesting. Kind of- well, it's almost as flex a move as the Money Mitch hat and the Brady Farkas radio sweatshirt. I got to put that hat back on. I'm not so, promoting myself right now. Can we can we get uh, can we get some scores? I need yeah. uh, like I need well, and and we need them verified. I mean, I'm just saying. We do. I I mean, I have the uh, scorecards, but I <laughs> I fluctuated between in six or seven rounds. I fluctuated between 84 my best okay. and 94 oh, okay. my worst. 94. I'll be honest with you. 94 we had a caddy um it was the only time we had a caddy uh in our group and he was from like northern ireland or something and he was having some uh he was pulling out this little i don't know what kind of liquor it was and it was a super windy rainy day so i got into it with him a little bit and uh the liquor that is and we ended up I was now carrying my bag and he was using my clubs. <laughs> so, I love it. Somewhere in there, I think hole like 11 or 12, there was something happened. The the dopamine in our brains <laughs> changed a little bit and we started, uh, he was golfing and I was carrying the bag. <laughs> so, so, so there's an asterisk next to that golf score is what you're saying. That was the 94. <laughs> <laughs> it was a joint lost... 94 though yeah yeah exactly yeah i th- if i remember correctly i think i did end up playing my ball the whole round but uh he did step in for some shots um which he was i think he was a scratch golfer but so the 94 could have been like 104 <laughs> jesus i would have shot Anyways. like a 148 there i would have shot Dude. an eight on every hole and i would have probably like maxed out every hole possible the winds the wind is insane and if you right. go into the high grass, it's you might as well just have gone into water. You How know? many balls did you it's lose gone. on that course? Yeah, that's a legit question. How many balls did you lose? At, at St. Andrews? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I lost three that day. <laughs> that's actually I pretty lost good. Like three a whole so, Yeah. So that's, I was, that's not bad. 
it's not bad um you just uh it was just out of this world but like i said you go into the fat you go left or right your your ball's gone it's those three courses you just brought up though like those are bucket lists right bucket list it was just andrews carnoustie and maryville like oh my god i jealous. i know i know were they all in scotland (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. all in scotland except Mirfield and st andrews are about a a two-hour drive from each other so we did we did have a, a little bit of traveling that one morning but um no it was just insane i mean we, we played yeah I, I got to admit i get massively confused by everything across the pond like the united kingdom i it takes me like i gotta look it up every time i think that i've got this right england is england great britain is england scotland and wales together and the united kingdom is england scotland wales and part of ireland it's like i think mm-hmm. i've got that but i have to look that up every single time yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 and it's funny it's funny because i think in the olympics great britain is like team GB. together yes. yeah so yeah. they they have more than oh, one I country didn't, i didn't know that i, I yeah. Well, yeah. Know that. yeah wales and um who is it wales and, and scotland and, and scotland, scotland joining up yeah, yeah and and i think that well like but northern ireland has its own team if it wants to in various things like i think like or regular ireland not northern yeah. ireland but like Ireland in soccer can be its own country, but Ireland, I think if it wants to, can compete for Great Britain in the Olympics. Right. And and just like England is obviously its own country and like the World Cup of soccer and stuff. But I don't know, for some reason in the Olympics, they join together and it's Great Britain, uh, which is interesting. But they also have this, like the Scots have this uh, big brother, little brother kind of syndrome with, with England, much like Canada and the US. Actually, I found it interesting just chatting with some of the Scots over there just, you know, they, they, they join in Great Britain in the Olympics, but they don't like each other, but they're, <laughs> are you saying that Canada is our yeah. big brother or our little brother? Yeah. Uh, and are you saying you don't like us? Clar- yeah. Please is that clarify. what you're saying? Yeah. What's going right. on here? There's, I we've been there, over this in episode two. There's some, well, are, there's some Canadians that probably don't love you guys all that much. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be honest. Were you just, Mitch, were you? I can totally see you. No, just going back to you being in Scotland. This was mm. you in every pub that you walked into. I was speaking Scottish. And and you, yeah, and you were like, oh yeah, yeah, my family's my family's Scottish. Yeah, we're from here. We're from oh yeah, a I was like that. Yeah, Mitchell, just, Mitchell. Yeah, just acting like. Are you? Walk. What are you? Are you Urquhart? I know an Urquhart. Oh, yeah. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, I think we should talk a little bit of hockey before we get to Snowy. He's yeah, going to be with us off the rails in a couple of minutes. Oh, what I wanted to tell you is uh, now that I'm just going to take it off the rails is this is now a couple of weeks ago, but I went to my first UVM hockey game of the season the other day or a couple of weeks ago. Now they beat Boston college on that Friday night. They won five mm-hmm. overtime first win of the year for Good the cat. Boom. And uh, I saw the Tory Mitchell shrine there along with all the other NHL players. Do Keep they come have- Farky? Do they have no. enough uh, little labels for how many teams you played for? I think you took up an entire <laughs> wall. That's a good problem. Farky, you got up. You got off to such a good start. Couple layups, <laughs> massaging me, and then from the top rope again. I'm just saying. Well, that was Bates' right joke. I stole it. Hey, it's better than going up and down between the bigs and the minors. Ask Trader about that one. Yeah, yep, yep, boom. Wow, top rope, Every, Jesus. Everybody is What's, in what's a, everyone's problem this morning? Yeah, why is everybody grumpy? <laughs> <laughs> we hey, get on here before we press record and Farky's coming. I agree with right you. Hey, me. whatever <laughs> amount of teams I played for, life in the bigs is life in the bigs, all right? Uh, I hear you. Uh, Strader, mm-hmm. by the way, I did get a compliment on you, though, from uh, the UVM hockey coach, Todd Woodcroft. Not only does he say oh, he yeah. likes the pod, but he said he had you for a small time in Winnipeg and said you were a great guy and he loved being around you. Glue yeah, guy. He's, he's a good He's a good man. He's a good man. We, we uh, got to get a dual podcast. He's my bag skate coach, so, yeah, that was fun. Oh, we spent some time together. <laughs> <laughs> we oh. got to get uh, a dual podcast with him and his brother, Jay, because you mentioned Jay Woodcroft in episode yeah. three, the, uh, the film guy in, in San Jose. Now he's an AHL coach behind the bench, if I'm remembering correctly. We got to get both of them together. Oh, yeah. They'd be great to have on. They have, I mean, they're so well connected in the hockey world. Good God. They'd be just amazing to have on for sure. We'll get them both as we go. You know what? At this point, we're 15 minutes in. We haven't gotten to any of the things on my list that I spent, that we spent so much time (laughs) preparing for. So uh, we do have an interview with Chris Snow. Chris Snow is the assistant general manager of the Calgary Flames. Again, he used to work for the Wild, and he's got an unbelievable story, um, as I said, in both hockey and life. He's currently battling 
ALS. And again, by all accounts, he's doing great. Batesy, before we toss it to the interview here, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you how you know Snowy? Because you set this up for us. Yeah, I mean, first of all, um, you know, what an amazing guy. I really enjoyed talking to him. Um, incredible person. Uh, with a great story on how he got involved in the game, um, you know, from a managerial perspective. Uh, how do I know him? Uh, the hockey world's small. It's really that simple. Um, in the scouting world, it's not uncommon to walk into ranks and 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 start seeing the same faces every time you walk in. Same guys are at the same same arenas and and chatting with uh, with this person, that person, you know. Um, so we we have a mutual connection in the scouting game, and and that's kind of how I was introduced to him. Um, uh, I don't know. Last few last few years, I guess. What's crazy is he started. Did he not? He started in, in the media. Yes, working yeah. for the Boston Globe. Yeah, what? Yeah. yeah, that's so cool. I I, I I like those stories. That's wild. Yeah. Where he started with just like a beat writer, like a sports writer. Yeah, he was yeah. loving the Red Sox and stuff. And and he wow. went to he that's went crazy. to college uh, at Syracuse, I believe for to study journalism and and then you know he starts working for the globe he, he talks about he befriends doug riseborough and and you know the rest is history mm -hmm. yes so we taped this interview um a little bit ago actually so we're going to toss it to the interview now i hope you guys enjoy chris snow the general manager of the calgary flames assistant general manager of the calgary mm -hmm. flames the elevate 02 podcast is brought to you in part by parkview air medical Parkview Air Medical provides professional medical escorts consisting of fully certified ACLS-trained paramedics, registered nurses, and physicians. These escorts accompany your patient, your family member, your friends on major commercial airlines. These transports can also be done via train and cruise ships for those who can't fly. They will assist you in making sure that the journey is safe and stress-free. They'll coordinate the transportation needs to and from the airport, along with wheelchair, seat-to-seat -seat transfers, and baggage assistance. They will ensure a smooth bedside-to-bedside -bedside transition. You can learn more about Parkview Air Medical online at parkviewairmedical.com. They've got a huge medical staff pool. They're able to meet those last-minute requests, and they can have an escort with you or your patient or family member in just a matter of hours, and they have access to visa procurement services also. It's Parkview Air Medical, online at parkviewairmedical.com. All right, now I want to welcome in a very special guest in here to the Elevate 02 podcast. It is Chris Snow, the Assistant General Manager of the Calgary Flames. He's got an unbelievable story both then and now. He previously uh, worked for the Minnesota Wild. He was also previously a journalist who used to work at the Boston Globe. So, Chris, welcome into the Elevate 02 podcast. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Well, we appreciate you being with us. Look, I've been in the media for a long time now, seven years running in the media. Bates and Strader and Mitch, they're new to the media scene. We're usually seen as the bad guys. So how did you make it out of the media world and get into the front office? I'll tell you, my colleagues in journalism and new colleagues on this side could not believe it. And I honestly think it was one, one in a million in the sense that when I was hired for the Wild in 2006, there was no one who was, call it, an outsider in the league. Uh, there were no analytical guys. There were no, uh, really, anyone who was an ex, was not an ex-player. And the job was born of a relationship I developed with Doug Reisrael, then the GM of the Wild, who I covered for a year and a half before that. And to Doug's credit, he was curious. He was following what teams such as the Red Sox are doing. And I think after that year that I spent in Boston, he thought I was young, curious, asked lots of questions, saw what the UF team and his young assistants were doing, and he took a chance. First of all, Snowy, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. Um, sure. You're someone that I've always, I've, I've heard about, I've, I've gotten to know a little bit. You're thought of very highly in, in the inner circles of hockey, and you alluded to to Doug Riseborough, um, obviously, a tremendous amount of experience in the game. The purpose of this podcast is just to kind of share experience about how people, you know, get into the game that didn't necessarily play. Your relationship <laughs> with Doug, obviously, was was crucial to that. Um, who are some other mentors or people that kind of welcomed you in? And, and did you ever face any sort of, hey, 
you know, this guy, this guy doesn't play at the highest level, you know, does he really know hockey or is, is he just trying to figure it out? To be totally honest, I felt a great deal of why is he here? And I think I felt that across the organization. Um, I think the scouting staff in particular have that kind of curiosity and concern. And I say concern because they could tell that Doug had an interest in what I had to say. And at the same time, they assumed, and they were not wrong, that I didn't have a great deal of institutional knowledge. And therefore, I could potentially easily steer Doug in the wrong direction. Uh, I think mentor-wise, Doug and Jacques Lemaire were outstanding. Those three seasons that I spent with the two of them, I traveled to almost all the away games. And they were both day in, day out, natural teachers. And I think that was born of their personalities, but also their experience winning to the degree that they did in Montreal. And so just by virtue of going on, Doug is a walker. He likes to date you. We go on these long, long walks for two, three hours on days of run caves. And I would get back from that with all these new thoughts and ideas that, that stuck. And Jacques and, and players we had, even veterans would say this, that in a short period of time, they learned more from Jacques than they had in their entire careers. And so I feel like those years, without question, I was gaining more than I was getting. And that undoubtedly laid the foundation for the fact that 15 years later, I still work in this league. That's incredible. I mean, that's absolutely incredible. And, and to your point, that's that same emotion and, and kind of, for lack of a better term, lack of belonging is something that I experienced my first few years. Um, um, in scouting mm-hmm. with Vancouver, because, you know, I didn't have this big, long, illustrious resume. I was 23 years old. And so many people looked at me like, to your point, well, why is this kid here? What does he do? What does he know? Um, right. So it's uh, quite honestly, it's kind of nice to know that somebody in your position felt that way, too. Um, as funny as that sounds. Um, in, in absolutely incredible. And, and then talk about your transition to, to Calgary, obviously three, three years in, was it three years in Minnesota and then off to Calgary you went? It was, it was three years with Doug and he was let go. And then it was a year with Chuck Fletcher. Okay. And Chuck was actually really, really good to me. He allowed me to go out and scout. And I think he did that because he knew that he was adding individuals who would make my job redundant. And so I scouted the NHL and AHL in the central that year. And he allowed me to do Cal Clutterbuck's contract with New Force Sports that year. So those were good opportunities to, I think, you know, show the league that, okay, someone else had time for Chris and allowed him to do things. And then I was out for a season. And that is, it's really unnerving and challenging thing because the hiring cycle is essentially. June, July, August, and that's once a year. And I was like going May of 2010. And when I didn't have a job come the start of the fall, I knew that I was looking at really a complete year out. And I was very, very fortunate that Jay Feaster took over for, ironically, Daryl Sutter, who I now work with. And Jay was looking for someone to do analytical work, uh, introduce kind of that wave of thinking into this organization. And we had a conversation in, call it the fall of my unemployment year. And Jay took over in December. And I thought, great, something could come with this. Nothing came of it until at the annual GM meetings, which are in Florida. I sat with 10 GMs. And Jay was not one of those 10. But he saw me with those 10. And he called the following day and he offered a consulting job that he said would lead to a full-time job. And sure enough, uh, two months later, that did. That's great. That's great. Snowy, thanks for uh, joining us. Brian Strait here. Um, sure, right. 
How's it going? Um, I, I had a question on the, you know, you brought it up, right? Why is he here? And then Batesy obviously mm-hmm. hit on it a little bit as well. Do you feel that that is starting to kind of be pushed out the door of the question, why is he here? I just got in three years ago on the other side, obviously I was a player beforehand, but mm-hmm. I've never asked that, right? Like, and, and maybe right. I'm naive, but do you think that there is a clear transition at this point of everyone kind of, ex, you know, understands that there's more to it than just people who played the game? Without question. I, I think that if you counted, you'd get at least half the league that has someone directing an analytical department with multiple individuals who are likely computer coders, uh, you know, people with an economics or mathematics background in their hockey department. And I would say that the degree of acceptance to your question really comes down to the leadership with the team. So as the GM is demonstrating to his entire staff, which is coaches, scouts, player development, that this is part of how we do things, then it's a much easier path in. If the GM is not doing that, then it's a rocky road because you're dealing with the subset of the staff that thinks this is great, I'm in. The subset that is sort of neutral and the subset that thinks I have no time for this and this is a threat. And so I've been extremely fortunate. And ironically, I think it was Brian Burke who really, uh, I think, started to create a real identity uh, for my job here. That he and Brad have been outstanding at saying, hey, this is how we do things. And not just that, but utilizing the work that I do, not just myself, but allowing me to hire and really create what I would call a department. So you guys have an interesting structure in Calgary with multiple assistant GMs. How do you guys work together and divvy up the duties? Right. The good thing is that we don't really bump into each other, I find, and we're all friends, and I think that that helps. Um, In the case of Grant Connery, he is largely in a a scouting um, capacity. Uh, he has great relationships with our players, and so he spends a lot of time around them. And I think he brings the experience as a longtime player that I don't, certainly, and that Brad Faskell, to a lesser degree, has. Uh, in Brad's case, he runs our minor league team. He does a lot of our budget work, staffing work, it is really a day-to-day contact for a lot of the on-the-ground individuals here. And then I view myself as kind of the, the intersection of all the information that we keep. So that's not just data, that's video, that's scouting, um, and, and really overseeing, creating a, an in-house website that all of our staff could use, including our players, to study the game, study themselves. Um, I see tells us, really synthesizing everyone else's work and helping Brad to really stay organized and make the most informed decisions that he can. Just kind of integrating tech, the use of technology analytics. Um, you've been involved in that transformation. Um, obviously, you know, that started in your time in Minnesota, learning that, but now in 11 years in Calgary, um, what are the biggest changes you've seen with that sort of integration and, and, and tools, so to speak? Um, and what kind of pushback, if any, do you ever get from players, coaches, uh, scouts? Well, the, the initial day that I spent in hockey was uh, free agency day in 2006 of the Wild. And if you look back on it, the team, that was when they transitioned from, I would call them an extension team to a winning team and they were tens and tens of millions spent on that day and as i sat there i realized that not a single number other than dollars was discussed when assessing the players performance and fit whereas today we have an internal uh database and site they call slate's vision with varying levels of access for the gm right down to a player who drafted is still in, in amateur hockey. And so around 100 individuals who are under our umbrella 
are users of that on any, any given day. I would say 30 of them log in. And so it's really becoming part of our, uh, our culture. And I, I look at Brian Burke saying, this is critical. And Brad saying, when he was hired in 2014, how do we become a leader in this? And I said, well, you got to build an internal system and hire programmers and hire intellect. People are smarter than all of us do all this in ways that are different. And really, to my pleasant surprise, Daryl Sutter is a heavy user and has really come to essentially Interesting. Mandate, mandate that our players utilize this. And again, that comes down to leadership. I don't choose the players. I don't coach the game. But if those who do do those two things are completely on board, then we've got a real chance to apply all this work that we've done with data, video, information. Snowy, I'm curious about the human element of everything. I've always wondered this from the front office to the players. How much does or should the upper front office interact with players? Do you want to cultivate relationships and build that family atmosphere, or do you want a clear line because at the end of the day, it is a business? I think you want relationships because I think that players are people, and we can't forget that. And they need to know that we are wanting them to succeed, that we care about them, uh, that we're in this with them, not just up in the sky looking down on them and, and judging them. I think the, the challenge is we have to remain on message. And so the interaction that the GM coach or someone like myself or any is a staff member of mine has with a player, it's got to be on message or we can't be successful in the identity and approach we're trying to take uh, on a day-to-day basis. Snowy, how did that message change during COVID, um, if at all? I mean, you guys, uh, the entire league was turned upside down. The entire world was turned upside down, of course. Um, Did that kind of come into play with your guys, you know, plan, strategy, execution? You know, obviously, you know, everyone anticipated, I'm sure, the cap rising and and that, you know, didn't happen. So um, throw in COVID and then throw in another huge curveball, which you guys, you know, kind of were able to plan a little bit more for, but expansion, you know, uh, the second time in four years that, the, uh, another team was added to the league. So just kind of talk about uh, maybe some of, of those factors and how they played into um, your guys' forecasting and, and development. Well, it was a real challenge because there was so little personal interaction, right? The meetings with players were often required to be virtual. And so I think that we all struggled player to player, player to us, um, us and each other in that we were often not face-to-face. What I thought was a benefit to COVID is that we got a chance to step back and look at our process, whether that was how we related to the players, uh, how we scouted, and I found that we actually created a lot more of a um, procedural environment, whereas often with the next practice, the next game, you just look ahead to that, we had to say, okay, scouting, there isn't a next game to go to. And so the use of video by the scouts became, by several factors, much more prevalent than ever before. And I thought that was really beneficial because especially the year that COVID hit, they had scouted live for half the season and then got to, I would call it, check their work by watching on video either shifts or how goals scored, scored all their goals, things of that nature. Personally, one thing that I thought was effective is uh, I kind of stepped back with our coaches, created a data-based strengths and weaknesses profile for each player, sent that to those players, and sent that over their video system to then key in on those areas of ideally improvement uh, and how they could watch that. So I think we emerged with far more of a structured environment uh, that was forced on us, and that was unofficial. 
you know, we've got some some lighter questions here um, to wrap up with. But before we get into those, I want to ask one more question about relationships, because you mentioned wanting to foster relationships without specifics. I don't need a player's name or anything, but when a player has been cut or a player has been traded and you're in the room and you're part of those conversations, what's going through your mind as the front office exec? Honestly, those, you know, as far as trades, they, they happen so infrequently that I try to ponder that question enough. I think when someone's being sent down, the most important thing is honesty and to give them a roadmap to get back here. And I think that's where communication is so important, right? To relate to these players as individuals to have had a previous history of a relationship, not just starting at that instant, so that there's trust uh, and belief that the things that are shared with them are honest and that the chance to get back here is real. You know, we got a bunch of Americans on here and we all love the game of hockey, right? But <laughs> USA, <laughs> USA. Hockey and is our team still... Is, our team is like all Americans. Kachuk, Kachuk, Hamilton. That's true. That's true. Very true. And, you know, hockey is still Canada's sport. We all know that. And uh, there's obviously, I think, you know, a lot of us listen to podcasts, radio stations, whatnot, right? There's an overwhelming uh, pressure for markets like Toronto and for Montreal, but I think, you know, it gets probably lost in the weeds. Some of the, some of the markets like Calgary, what kind of, what kind of pressure is there being in a market like that and, you know, potentially bringing a cup to an area that, you know, hasn't seen one in quite a while. I mean, Canada as a whole, I guess, but, but is it, is it similar to some of the bigger markets like Toronto or is there less um, pressure on you guys? I think that our media is, I would call it, uh, first of all, it's not as large as Toronto. And I think it is somewhat friendlier than some markets. Uh, I think that they, they're good journalists at the same time. They do want to see us do well. Um, I do think there's more pressure to play here than in certain U.S. markets. And I think it's because, though we certainly have the CFL and, and, and lacrosse and, and whatnot, they are the game in town from a attention standpoint. And when you turn on national you know, sports uh, shows at night, they're not showing a lot of baseball and NFL. You're seeing yourself. And so I don't think you can escape it. And yeah. even the weather, it's, it's, it's hockey weather from October until May here. So you're in it all the time. And I think that those who are easier uh, to adapt to pressure and who welcome that are the kind of players that you see succeed. Or those who pay zero attention to it whatsoever. Like I think that Chris Tanev, is completely unaffected by the market because he is low-key in every day, every shift, every practice, looks like the one before it. So if you're someone who's a high highs, low lows, greet everything kind of player, this is a more difficult place to play. Snowy, not a bad college free agent, huh? Brought into Vancouver. <laughs> exactly. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Pat yourself but, on the back, Batesy. Yeah. Just on, gonna... a, on a team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just going to be over here breaking my arm, you know, for that one. Um, <laughs> no, uh, I think that's really well put, though, kidding aside. Uh, I've got two more real quick ones, lighter hearted, uh, before we let you go. Um, mm -hmm. Thank you again. Uh, first and foremost, um, what was it like for a, a Boston area kid to throw out the first pitch on his 40th birthday at Fenway Park? It was completely surreal. Uh, like I cannot say enough what Sam Kennedy and his staff did to accommodate us that day. Oh. They gave us a suite for 35 people and eight seats in row one next to the Zoom tugout. Oh, and that's awesome. We, we, we drove down that day and you know, you're counting down with and you're like, okay, it's not until eight days or seven days. You get down that day, you're like, holy cow, I'm going to go out there and do this. Yeah. And my son, who threw like a perfect strike, he was cool as could be. Like he knew <laughs> that he was dialed in. I got down there. It was 96 degrees Fahrenheit. Hottest day of the entire summer. And run the field for a good 30 minutes prior. Oh. And my hand was just soaked. 
<laughs> and I was thinking this fall is going to just fly out. So as the anthem started just before, I asked uh, Jeff Passon, who's a writer, to have the socks dug out for rosin. So I never grabbed one of those before, and it was so tacky that I then had this vision of throwing the ball directly in the ground because it didn't find <laughs> my hand. So I get out there, and the kids do great. I'm on the mound, and honestly, from the, the second I stepped on the rubber until I talked to the catcher, I have no recollection of that. <laughs> <laughs> just blacked out, huh? Blacked out completely. <laughs> like, yeah. like in uh, like uh, Will Ferrell's character in, in what is it? Uh, old school, right? What happened? I blacked out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And oh. honestly, like I, 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 I told the catcher, I, I, I said, man, I wanted to, to not bounce that. And I, I got to the Red Sox analyst later that I did throw a 60 feet. It was just 15 feet <laughs> offline. <laughs> Minor and, detail. And I give I give credit to anyone who throws a strike because you're just you're there all by yourself. The mound is not dug out yet, and so it feels very slippery. And the balls are brand new, they're not uh mudded, yeah. and so they're slippery. So lots of excuses here. <laughs> Long story short, huge, huge thrill, and a day that my kids and, and wife I will never forget. I, that's incredible. You know, that's incredible. that's awesome. That's terrific. I actually I had one other one, but uh, um, since I was going to ask about you guys dodging a bullet with uh, the big Tory Mitchell contract in 2012, you know, <laughs> but, uh, but, but you know, since since Mitch isn't on here, he's by the way, Snow, he's uh, he's golfing over in in Europe right now. So um, life that's stuff life. for him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right? Exactly. He's at St. Andrews. Guys, uh, pretty busy. Hope you guys uh, let us let me know how it goes. Yeah. Um, Parky, ahead, but... <laughs> yeah. uh, hey, Chris, I'll ask you a haha question here. I was doing the research for this interview. I want to make sure I get the timeline correct here. So you were in Boston. Your future wife was in Boston. You took a job in Minneapolis. She came out to visit you. You proposed on that visit. Did you propose to her without being around her for like six months or a year? Or were you guys still together? And I just didn't, that, that wasn't in the details. No, like I would have seen her as recently as the month before that. Okay, okay. Because she she returned to Boston for a second summer internship at the start of the summer, and I took off in mid July, proposed in late August. I thought you proposed. I thought you cold wow. proposed after like a year mm. off, and it was going to be some movie uh-huh. type stuff. That's what but I was Farky, expecting. Snowy Farky was just looking for a wingman. After he read that, he's like, "Wow, like I might need to find." <laughs> I, I, Snowy might need. To I, be I a think the future here. Mrs. Farkas <laughs> would not appreciate me having a wingman. So I think we're good there. So <laughs> yeah, uh, I was. Awesome. I was not taking my chances. Not taking my chances finding anyone else. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> Before we let you go, uh, you know, tell us tell us about um, Snowy Strong um, ALS Research. Any any new updates there? Uh, what what can we do to help you, sir? Sure. Uh, so we started almost two years ago to raise money for ALS Research, and I was diagnosed two and nearly two and a half years ago. And in that time, we've raised give or take ten thousand dollars. We've raised five hundred thousand dollars. Um, half of that is at work here in Canada on a research trial, and a chunk of that is at work at the University of Miami in Florida, where I was diagnosed, where my dad and cousin went as well for clinical uh, research, and we feel great supporting them because they just announced a trial to give the drug that I want to individuals prior to the onset of symptoms, which is remarkable. Um, I guess to follow our story, KelseySWrites.com is my wife's site. Uh, there's a blog, there's a podcast. And if you go to our site, you can find a link to our story and donate. And by our site, I mean uh, flames.nhl.com. Definitely. Everyone definitely check out flames.nhl.com to check that out, uh, whatever you can to, to support Chris and his fight. And and, and um, Snowy, thank you so much for your time. I think everyone's going to find this incredibly informative. And uh, whatever we can do, uh, please let us know. Happy to do it. And best of luck with all you guys are doing.
Hey, Chris, I'll get you out of here on a very quick story just to dovetail what BT was saying. Uh, I, I host a radio show every day, and uh, Bob Sosi, the radio voice of the Patriots, is on my show every Tuesday. So I was talking to him yesterday, and ironically enough, he was wearing a 4ALS hat, and I told him that we were going to be talking today, and he said that uh, he couldn't wait to listen, that you were an inspiration um, to many, and he said you that you you know that that you guys had never met personally, but he certainly knew of you and knew of your story, and uh, you know really appreciated all that you were doing for the ALS community. So uh, even though you guys have never met, uh, you were inspiring him as you do many. So we do appreciate it. Well, thank you. I certainly would not have chosen this, but I do have a platform, and I'm going to do everything I can to use that. The Elevate O2 podcast is brought to you in part by Frank Crum. Frank Crum is a professional employer organization that partners with businesses to assist with human resources, workers' compensation insurance, risk management, employee benefits, and payroll administration. When you partner with Frank Crum, you are increasing your profits, productivity, saving a ton of time, and reducing your liability and cost. They are unique to the PEO industry because they own their own workers' compensation carrier, Frank Winston Crum Insurance. And they work with difficult industries like construction, roofing, plumbing, electricians, and even some trucking. Visit frankcrum.com and tell them Elevate 2 sent you. And if you're an insurance agent or broker, visit frankcrum.com to hear how you can offer Frank Crum's PEO services to your clients. All right, that was an unbelievable interview with Chris Snow. Uh, Batesy, um, great job by you again, setting that up. Somebody that uh, I was, you know, honored to talk with. I thought, again, it was an unbelievable story. You know, a lot of good stuff about hockey, a lot of good stuff about life. Um, I guess I'll just go with you guys, just kind of around the room. Among people you've talked to and been around in the game, there's obviously a ton of people with great stories who are inspirational, who are characters, who are fun to be around. Kind of I don't, it's unfair to say rank Chris Snow among people you've met, but just kind of tell me when you heard that interview, kind of what came to your mind? For for me, it was uh, just the sense of be- belonging. It's really It was really cool to hear him uh, tell a story about where he's in. He's with like 10 GMs, and I'm sure there's, yeah. you know, there's, there's some big names in there, right? And for me, and when you get in that situation, you're like, what the fuck am I doing here? You know, mm-hmm. but you're, there's a reason you're there. And you got to have that belief in yourself. So for me, um, you know, the first four or five months in the NHL, my rookie year, navigating that, you got to tell yourself, I'm here for a reason. Even though you're sitting next to all these big names, these Hall of Famers, especially in San Jose at the time for me. Um, and you just, you just kind of, you pinch yourself. You definitely pinch yourself a little bit, but you also tell yourself, I'm here for a reason. I'm good enough to be here. And that gives you that confidence. And I'm sure, you know, listening to him tell that story, he knew um, that, uh, you know, he gave himself some confidence and obviously worked out uh, getting that phone call the next day. Yeah, that was amazing. Strader, how about you guys that you've met? Yeah, no, I, I think for him, like, I was so impressed because he's a bit of a trailblazer. Like we talked about a little bit how uh, hockey in general has come around to accepting um, people from media, people from other kind of areas of, of expertise into management, into, you know, the front office space. And, you know, when he got in, it wasn't anything like that. Right. And mm-hmm. um, now it's become so commonplace, right? We like, you know, I'm, I'm with the devils and we hire people from all sorts of different business backgrounds and, and such. And it's, it's really impressive because like at this point, it's so common that, just because you're not a hockey person or a hockey guy, it doesn't matter. We know that you bring a skill set to the table that's really important for us. And and I think that Chris is um, like I said, a trailblazer in that in that area. I liked what you said, Strader, about uh, kind of being in the same position. Like, do I really belong here? Or Batesy, that was you. I'm saying, like, do I really belong here? You really related to uh, to what he was saying. I thought that was kind of powerful, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, he was hired in 2006 uh, in Minnesota. I was hired in Vancouver in 2008. And I, I, I'll never forget my first round of meetings. And I, I w- had so much anxiety and nerves walking into a room with all these guys, not just years of scouting experience, but years of managerial experience, playing experience, uh, you know, guys that came from all different areas of the game. 
and sitting there and, and it was and you and you look like you're probably 12 years old at the time well, as a matter yeah. of fact, i know you yeah. did yeah. you must have I mean, been terrified oh, i was terrified like look at me now i'm 36 i can barely shave i mean geez like at 20 oh well, you got the hairline now but yeah yeah that's, true. that's why i'm wow. wearing a hat uh, uh, any any good uh, hair club products that we can uh, you know get <laughs> sponsored right by the partner up with <laughs> um no it, it's it's wild though like i remember sitting there like you know <laughs> You know that feeling when you're in school and you don't do the homework and you're just like, oh, God, please don't call on me. Please. Don't I get call nightmares. Me. I get yeah. nightmares still. That, that was me the first my first round of meetings, like every single day for eight, nine hours. And, like, don't and, call on me. Please don't right, call on me. Right. Don't ask who, me about anybody. Who is, who Even, is the GM? Mike Gillis. Yeah, Mike. <sighs> and 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 the thing about Mike, though, that was I mean, there are a lot of things about Mike that were so great, but um, I, I didn't know his his mannerisms his body language his personality so when he's sitting there the thing about mike gillis that i don't think a lot of people understand is you could have told him the funniest joke in the world or you could have just kicked his dog and he has the same poker face mm. stone cold poker face and um killer and so whenever oh gosh serial so when killer. i'm sitting there, when i'm sitting there talking to him and he's asking me questions i'm just like Oh my God, like, should I just pack my stuff and go now or, or what? Yeah. You know, but then, but then over time, you're like, I belong here. I belong yeah. here. I belong here. Yeah. Right. And then, yeah, cool. That's funny though, because like, I don't know if it's just because I played or whatnot, but I never had that transition. Like, as soon as I stepped in, it's a little overwhelming. You're in there with a lot of people, but yeah. I had no problem whatsoever speaking up about my opinion on players. I mean, the, the other thing too, Mitch probably went through this as well. Like, you have different people in the organization, like when you're playing too, once you become part of the leadership crew, like ask you about guys. So mm. yeah. you get used to that almost. And then you sit in the room and I, it felt oddly comfortable for me to just kind of say what I wanted to say about a player and how I felt, which, which is funny because it's completely opposite of what you're bringing to the table here. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, that's also different in age too, right? Like when you think about your maturity yeah. level from a professional perspective at age 23 versus 33, it's, it's completely different. Um, and, and it's funny. The other, the other thing that I really like made me think of it is, um, there was somebody that was really influential on me personally, um, uh, outside of the organization, but in professional hockey. And that was, uh, Tom Curvers, the late Tom Curvers, who was an absolutely terrific man, Colby Bacon Werner at the University of Minnesota Duluth, uh, former assistant general manager in Minnesota for the Wild last few years. Um, just a laundry list of, of, of accomplishments in the National Hockey League. And I was a couple of years out and I met him and he and I were driving to a game one day and he, he, he just asked me, he said, what's your story? Why are you here? What's your story? How, how are you where, how are we driving together to watch a hockey game and scout? Hmm. And, and it was like, nobody's ever asked me that wow, like very few people really ever, ever wanted to know my level of understanding of the game on that personal level. And that really just that conversation, it was a two hour conversation from Boston to Portland, Maine. And it really gave me the confidence to talk and learn and, and speak with, with authority, I guess you could say, and make decisions, the decisions that you need in the game. Yeah. You know, so it's similar like that. It was similar like that with me. Um, because you know you're trying to find your way uh same thing i was 22 or 23 uh when i entered the league and when you hear the for the first time when you hear like oh, i love i love playing with this guy i love playing with mitch oh i want oh yeah we're together let's go i love playing with you that you're like okay i belong here this is awesome i gotta i gotta i gotta play well for for this guy that loves playing with me let's let's get some mojo and stick together for three or four games instead of <laughs> rotating, you know, who, who, but, are, who, who are some of the, who like name some players, like who gave you that, who made you feel Mike, welcome? Mike Greer, Mike Greer, for sure. Um, he was, uh, he was awesome to play with. He was just, you know, at that time, such a veteran, um, who was looking out for me, Jeremy Ronick, like he, he, whether or not he loved playing with me, he was always, uh, let's go. Come on, baby. Let's go. We're having a big one tonight. You know, and I played, probably 50 games with him that season. Um, so we had, uh, and he would give me the tough love and then he'd come and give me a big hug after the game. If we won, you know, like he was the ups and downs with them. Like it just, it just got me, I don't know. It gave me more confidence. It really did. 
straight yeah. you, like what what about you like did you ever have a guy like a d partner that was like i want to play with brian straight paramedic yeah. straighter yeah and it's a very similar situation to mitch here like i would play with travis hamannick too and he'd he'd say the same thing like i love playing with you and we're talking yeah. about like he's like the number one defenseman on our team at the time so to have that kind of confidence um you know put on me in our number one guy you know to play alongside with him and big minutes and i still remember like the pitcher i got behind me we would match up against sid in the playoffs and stuff like that i mean that that is you know confidence confidence is everything in sports, everything especially hockey and to have that from a top player um given to you is, is really it's important it just gives you that that little that extra boost to have a little more swag in your game yeah. you know yeah. Yeah. And, and no no different in the front office when you're making decisions you know when people look at you and ask you a question something so simple as Batesy, what do you think you saw him you know here there and and wherever what did he do is is what you're hearing from other guys what you saw and them wanting your opinion on a player it's Wow, it really mm. it, it makes the job fun. It really mm -hmm. makes the job fun. Did those same players like I don't know take you under their wing? I always like asking players or former players like who was that veteran role model? I mean, so those guys like playing with you, but those were guys were those guys that also grabbed you and kind of showed you the way also, or is that somebody else? I, I'd say yeah. I mean, those two two guys that I just mentioned, like Gr Grizzly for sure was a role model for me. I don't know if uh, I don't know if Jr. was a role model more than just. Um, just like being being there for me i mean he was uh we were having dinners at his place uh you know once or twice a week his wife would cook for us like he definitely took me under his wing um but i'd say i'd say mike greer was more of a role model for me so but yeah two two different way different personalities but two great guys to be i mean i was playing center in between those two guys so it was like you know they're it, it, just two incredible guys to learn from for sure how about He's, you, Strader? Tori broke in a lot younger than I did, right? I was like 25. So actually, Travis was was younger than I was at the time. So I wouldn't say a role model. But I do remember coming up, you know, um, in Pittsburgh's system and having extended stays up there and being kind of kind of watched over and helped out with with rides and stuff like that um, with Brooks Orpic quite a bit. And, you know, mm. he's another guy from the area. Uh, really good guy, BC guy. I won't hold that against him. But no, great, <laughs> great, great guy. And like, honestly, like a guy like that, like you're saying, oh, like, oh, this guy's driving me around, helping me out, talking to me constantly every day, uh, seeing how things are going in the hotel, whatever it might be. And he's like, you know, he, he like he's the career path I would like to have, right? Like the guy played over a thousand games. He's this defensive minded, tough defenseman. Like that was kind of the mold that I wanted to build my career around. Um, so that was extremely helpful. And it's funny, like Snowy mentioned, you're all in it. To, we're all in it together. And yeah. to have, um, you know, for him to, to be a support cast for his players and then for the players, the older guys, the veterans to support the younger guys, it trickles down. And if it's all done properly, you get a winning product. You know, I have a lot of stuff that I want to get to, <clears throat> excuse me, on front office and front office relationships with players. And we talked with Snowy about, you know, what's it like to be in the room when a player gets cut or traded? And we talked with him about what it's like to, um, you know, do you want to be kind of buddy buddy with your, with your players or do you want to have a strict line? Cause it's a business. We're right up on an hour here. And we said, that's kind of the, the line we want to be at every episode. So I think we should save some of that for episode number five, um, because I really do want to get into that relationships with the front office. But the straighter, I did want to pump your tires here, if I'm remembering correctly. Oh, I think it was in episode we three. This we were talking hockey sense. And did you say Adam <laughs> Fox was a guy you thought had a hockey sense and he just signed a massive deal right before we put out episode well, three? That's like, oh, it's like saying on, McDavid has. Uh, yeah. I'm just saying, <laughs> I identified him. Yeah. And he's, hey, by the way, deal. hey, yeah, Farkin, just in case I, you didn't I know, I identified him. I, I did it. I did it all. Just in case you didn't know, Connor McDavid's really fast too. <laughs> yeah, Connor McDavid. I heard that. I oh heard that. Hey, God. I'm just saying. I was I was listening again to episode three before we did this episode, and uh, that's right. I listened to I listened to our episode so that I can get us an extra play on all of our various platforms. <laughs> so I was listening again, and uh, I was like, "Hey, Strader said that he signs the huge deal." I was like, "Boom! That's why he's a scout now." Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty easy to identify guys like that. You know, <laughs> they do special things on the ice, like Charlie and McAvoy, same thing. It's like, oh, well, another nine, big nine and a half a year. A guy who I, I met McAvoy a couple years ago. 
at the uh, Travis Roy Wiffleball Tournament. He's a good player. So he's a good uh, player. What did were you, you going to say, your, Mitch? Did you get your baseball cap signed by there, Farky, by McAvoy? Oh, my God, I'm going to come on my radio show. Thank you very much. Did you make it, make it out to Brady with a Y? Brady with a Y? Yeah. Thank you. I got McAvoy on my radio show. Thank you very I'm, much. I'm, I'm waiting for uh, the punchline. I know you like to build people up and then come from the top rope. Come on. Yeah, yeah. I don't I know. Where, where is it? Are you going to slam me down now? Yeah, no, there's no punchline. I thought it was great. I thought that uh, Strader, uh, you know, he saw a great talent at a young age, and that talent is now making you know seventy million dollars uh, overall. I thought I'm it was pretty take good. The compliment. I'm going to take the compliment, boys. I'm going to. There's a compliment oh, to be had there. Hey, <laughs> mm-hmm. we are the Elevate O2 podcast. You can follow us now on about everything under the sun. So YouTube, TikTok, Elevate O2, Instagram, Elevate O2 podcast, Spotify. We're now on Apple. I had a big thing with Apple for a while and trying to get us on Apple Podcasts, but we are there now. And uh, yes. you can e- email us at the Elevate O2 podcast at gmail.com. I think in episode five, we'll start uh, reading some reviews or taking some listener questions that come through the, uh, the emails. So uh, gang, another great episode. Thanks so much to Chris Snow. Batesy, great job booking that. Mitch, great job between you and your caddy shooting a combined 94. We're not sure if it's legit, <laughs> yeah. but we're glad you did it. <laughs> so, uh, Strader, thank unreal. you. We'll see you guys until the next time. Yes, sir. See you boys. See you boys.